Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Holy Community Church. So glad you're with us. Would you stand if you're able? We're going to spend some time worshiping through song this morning. by the enemy He had me thinking I was out of reach But oh Jesus mercy shut his mouth I once was crippled by the weight of shame Embarrassed I couldn't even show my face But oh Jesus then I heard you speak, and your love, it comes with no conditions, you give us your whole heart, my hope is in the blood of Jesus, I know who taken care of it. Yes, it has. Oh, Jesus, you're my victory. Oh, Jesus, you're my victory. Your it comes in no condition. Give us your hope. Smile, you know. 
Well, let's sing it together in the desert. In the desert, you're the river. The ever-flowing stream of life. In the battle, you're the victor. We raise your banner. In the darkness, in the darkness, you're the fire. Holy flame for all to see. My heart yearns forever. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. So glad you're with us this morning. Would you now take the time, greet the community around you, make them feel welcome. Students, you're heading off with Ryan. Follow that guy right there. Good morning, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? You ever have one of those mornings where you wake up and then it, all of a sudden it clicks like several hours? Hey, I just need to get over myself. That was me. Just sitting there singing to the Lord is an opportunity just to take the focus off ourselves and put it where it's supposed to be, on Him. So welcome to the Hoya Community Church. My name is Ian O'Mara. I'm the Director of Community Life. If you have your bulletins, go ahead and take those out real quick. If you flip to the inside cover, you'll see our prayer and connection card. You go ahead and fill that out. We're going to go dive, diving in right into announcements. So if you have your phone, go ahead and take that out because we have a lot of dates, a lot of things coming up because we're going to start talking about Holy Week. 
Our first big announcement is starting on the 13th, we're kicking off Holy Week with our Easter block party. Last year, 700 people over that came to this campus, and we just blessed our community by hosting this event where kids were able to come and just have a safe place just to have fun, and parents were able there, were there just to experience their kids just in, in a different light, and it was all hosted by us here at this church, and it's a, a purely volunteer-driven. We all banded together, and we created this awesome event. So mark your calendars. We're looking for donations of candy. We're looking donations of egg. We're looking for people to donate their time or their talents. So go to our website, ljcc.org, for more information, or just stop by after the service and ask me for, for some questions. Well, the next day is Palm Sunday, April 14th. We're going to have our normal service times, 9 and 1045, but we're going to have a Palm Sunday brunch hosted by our Wednesday night Bible study. They're going to put on a fantastic brunch. They did one last year for the fall kickoff, and they're so excited about it. They're going to do it again, and I'm super excited about it because it was delicious and it was fun. So come to one of those services. If you have friends or family that are interested or that you know or need to get plugged into a church or are looking for a church, this is a great event to do that. Invite them. They can sit around a table after a service and just get to know people over eggs and bacon. Who doesn't love bacon? Pigs don't love bacon, but... We love bacon, well, for the most part. Another event we have going on is we're kicking off with Holy Week. We're going to have Holy Week dinners. Last year we did Monday, Thursday dinners. We gave you guys a pack. We're going to do that again. And what we're doing is we're encouraging everybody here, if you're part of a life group or if you have a home and you're willing to open it, just open it to your neighbors. Open it to your coworkers. Open it to your life group. Open it to those that you don't know. We could plug some people in. I could tell you this. I did a Google Analytics search, and the, that week, that Holy Week, Church is the highest it's ever done throughout. The, it's searched so much during that week, more than any other time of the year, more than Christmas, more than any other time. This coming week, that Holy Week, church has searched the most. What it, People are looking for a place to get plugged in. What a great way to do that with, with the dinner, opening your home. So if you're interested in that, go to our website or come ask me for more information. Also, we will be having Good Friday services here, April 19th from 6.30 to 7.30. And we will have in our Easter services, there's three of them. So write these times down. This is going to be April 21st. They're going to be 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11. 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11. If you show up for the 9, you're early for the 9.30 or late for the 8. So mark those times down. That's why I asked you to get your phones out. Mark those times. Choose what service you're going to go to. See, hey, what friends, family, coworkers am I going to invite to come have a great time and hear about the risen Lord? So without further ado, I'd like to invite our senior pastor, Mr. Steve Murray. Yes, applause. Thank you. <clears throat> well, happy uh, St. Patrick's Day. Um, how many of you are Irish? I thought so. Anyway, so um, green, I forgot to wear green today, but um, I remember one time asking my grandfather, uh, what do you think of the IRA, the Irish Republican Army? He said, they're nothing but terrorists. This was not my British grandfather. This is my Irish grandfather. I said, well, granddad, weren't you in the original Irish Republican Army? Weren't you in prison with Ema de Valera in the 1916 Easter Rising? He said, yes, I was, but we were fighting for a cause because we were tired of being beaten up by guys dressed in black and tan uniforms from England. We were trying to create a revolution to make it equitable to be an Irish in Ireland, and it's become something way different. Uh, this is what the Bible addresses, the inherent conflict in being a human being. We start out with all these great intentions, and we want to make things better, and somehow along the way, we actually end up making it worse. Uh, having been in uh, South Africa pre-apartheid and post-apartheid, I go, wow, you swapped out some self-centered, selfish white guys with some self-centered, selfish black guys. You know, in between you had this epic, you know, moment with you know, Nelson Mandela. This is the nature of human nature. This is why revolutions revolve. And this is why the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ speaks to this inherent human conflict that is irresolvable on our own terms. With all of our best intentions, every human being wants to ultimately game the system. Not that you've seen any of that this week in the news. <clears throat> Just a small reminder. Uh, and so is Solzhenitsyn, that great Russian uh, novelist who spent much time in a conflicted country and in the gulags supported by that country, said the dividing line between good and evil runs directly through the human heart. And so this is the conflict that the gospel speaks to. Uh, we're using a metaphor in this series uh, that we started last week uh, um, about going through the rapids of life uh, because the rapids represent a churned up 
conflicted part of a river, conflicted in the sense that it's a disruption of the flow of the river, and we've made it into a recreational opportunity. But it's also a great metaphor to say, wow, how do we navigate? How do we run these rapids in life that course through us and around us that can so easily upend us, undo us, drown us, destroy us, create massive chaos? And so uh, what do you need for running life's rapids? That's what we're addressing in week two of this series in, in First Peter. And so we are in First Peter chapter two. Uh, in First Peter one, <clears throat> we said, well, you need a good guide, a dependable boat, the right gear, and some essential skills. Uh, most of you, when I asked last week, who were, uh, the people who were here last week had been on some kind of a raft experience. And so you know, uh, they put you in a boat and you need a good guide, a dependable boat, the right gear, some essential skills. And basically you do it to have fun. Uh, but part of the, the challenge is, or the reason you sign up, is you want to have some adventure. You want to take on some challenges that might be more than uh, you could normally navigate or negotiate, and you're going to do it in a setting that will allow you to be able to do that. And the starting point, of course, is to understand what's going on in the boat. I don't know if you can see the, the, the writing on this illustration, but <clears throat> off the screen it talks about the guide, the, this woman sitting in the back of the boat. She's actually steering the boat. And moving around clockwise uh, has a line pointing to drinking water in a cooler, uh, self-bailing floor instantly flushes out any water from the boat. Moving back around, it says, firm T-grip keeps paddle safely where you want it. A rope for gripping in event of a bump is attached to the side of the boat. Continuing around, it says, guests up front dig deep with paddles to stay in the raft. Maybe you've never thought about holding a paddle as a way of staying in the raft. It is. And then it says, at the top, seating and rear for small children or guests not wanting to paddle. You notice how small that section of the boat is? If you don't want to paddle this boat, why are you on it, right? And so they make very small, limited exceptions for people who don't want to be part of that. The first step we talked about last week is get in the boat. Uh, put the brochure down uh, and get in the boat. And notice that the boat is beached. All raft trips start with a boat that is beached. On the beach, they want to tell you, here's how you function. Here's how you behave in a raft. Here's the tools, the skills. Here's the processes, the protocols. Uh, do this, don't do that, right? And so they, they prep us, uh, get in the boat, and they always say, stay in the boat. Until we say, it's a really good place to get out of the boat and goof off and swim and have fun, stay in the boat. And so we talked about how do you do that? If the boat is a metaphor for being in community with the living God, what does that look like? So Peter described it in chapter one. He said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Uh, I'm guessing that your ears per perk up when you hear the word inheritance. That's a beautiful, beautiful word. Uh, if, if somebody were to call you today and say, listen, we've been trying to track you down, uh, there's an inheritance with your name on it. You'd be so excited. Uh, this happened to a guy, um, an American guy, who worked, I think he worked at Home Depot or Target, something like that. And uh, no, he worked at Walmart. He worked at Walmart. He gets a call and he said, hey, you have an inheritance. You don't really get any money with it, but you are the last surviving member of this family. And Lord, what's his name, has left his, his, his title to you. So this guy inherited a title. So now he goes to work now as Lord, whatever, you know, Lord Bud or something like that. You know, you know <laughs> Lord Biff. I don't know what his name was, but I can't remember, but... Uh, this idea of an inheritance. Every year, the state of California prints this list, or pr prints a, a connector uh, to a list that tells you all the money in the state's treasury that might have your name on it. If you used to have an account that got closed out, you didn't, you know, you moved and you forgot to close out your account, or you got a refund that never got actually paid to you. And so, you know, I should know better, but every year I go, I got to look on that thing just to be sure that, that my name is not on there somewhere. God is giving us an inheritance that nobody can defraud you of, nobody can deprive you of, nobody can take away from you. Uh, it can't perish, spoil, or fade. And through that, because of his resurrection from the dead, it's a living hope. It's great mercy. It's a new birth. And so God does everything uh, necessary to prepare us to be in his boat. Being in his boat is a gift of his grace. I want you to be in my boat. I don't want you struggling in the water, getting crushed by the rocks in the rapids. So why, we, well, here's why we qualify. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. I, I hope this time of year you're planting seeds in your garden. Even if you're not a gardener, go, go to Home Depot and buy a pot and put some 
potting soil in it and plant a seed. You will feel like a third grader all over again. There's nothing to be more exciting than putting a seed in the ground and seeing something grow from it. I never get tired of that. It just puts a big smile on my face. Uh, and my favorite are radishes because they grow the fastest. A radish from seed to eating it is 28 days. It's my kind of vegetable, okay? I don't even like radishes that much, but man, when I grow them, I want to eat them. I say, my radish right here. Yesterday, I went out and I picked our carrot crop. It was about this big. <laughs> Janet demanded to share it with me. As small as that was, we thoroughly enjoyed our carrot crop. It was so good, knowing that we planted that thing, and now we harvested it, and we're good. We're pretty much, you know, off the grid now. Um, but this seed <laughs> that has been planted in us is imperishable. It's life-giving forever and ever and ever. This is a beautiful thing about what God is doing in this world. Now we're mixing so many metaphors, inheritances and seeds with, with, with boats and rafts and... Uh, but here's what it means. Being in the boat means belonging to the Lord by faith in Christ because the, now the Lord is with you and in you. You're in him. Uh, your identity is now becoming clear. You're a beloved son or daughter of the king. And your future is secure. No matter how insecure you feel at this point in your life, your, your future is secure. If you do not uh, resonate with this, if you're saying, like, I, I just came with a friend, we're going to go have brunch. Um, and Thank you for not going la, 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 la while you're sitting here. But if you're hearing this, maybe it's time for you to say, okay, if this is true, Jesus, uh, I want to know. I got a lot of questions. I'm, I'm guessing those won't be immediately resolved, but I want to invite you to come into my life and convince me that this is true. I love the way it says in the Bible, come, the Lord says, let us reason together. It's not unreasonable to say, Lord, I want to invite you into my life and, and discover what it means to be in relationship with you, especially if you've had bad experiences uh, at church or with people speaking on behalf of Jesus, um, uh, maybe today's the day to say, okay, let me put that behind me and take a fresh look at this. But he's with you. Uh, you, have an, you have an identity in him that can't be taken from you, and uh, your future is secure. So uh, let's move into what we're going to talk about today in First Peter 2. We've got to learn the proper paddling techniques. Uh, this is super important. Once you get in the raft and they tell you don't fall out of the raft or don't jump out unless we tell you to, uh, they hand you a paddle or, or an oar, depending on what kind of rig you have in the boat. So I'll be using the word paddle or oar uh, interchangeably. You know, hold on to your oar, hold on to your paddle. And the proper paddling techniques are pretty important. Why? Because your paddle, your oar, is how you navigate, uh, turn right or left, you know, unless you have a person directing you from the back of the boat. But they'll say, hey, we're going to go left, and some people paddle this way, and some people paddle that way, and you go left, right. It's how you push off obstacles, uh, rocks. Uh, you pull in swimmers with your oar. It's how you accelerate. It's how you slow down. It's how you contribute. There's nothing more fun than being in a boat where everybody's contributing. This is why uh, uh, rivers with very gentle rapids are awesome for extended multi-generational families because everybody gets to be part of moving that raft through that water. It's a great bonding experience. And so the big news is that, hey, hold on to your oar and row. Hold on to your paddle and paddle. Don't let go of it. And it becomes super important because your paddle, your oar, represents everything God has put in your hands. Everything God has put in your hands is represented when we talk about this paddle and this oar when you're in God's boat. You get to be a contributing participant, a member, a partner with God in his boat. Uh, that's an amazing thing to consider. So with that oar and that paddle in your hands, protect it, become skilled with it, use it wisely, don't hurt others with it. It's possible to clobber yourself or other people with the oar or the paddle. If you're not paying attention, you got an oar, and if it's fixed in an oar lock, oh my gosh, if something hits it, it hits you. If you're holding it by your face or your knuckles, uh, if you're paddling and you're not careful and you move your paddle the wrong way, you clock somebody. Uh, this is not a pleasant thing to experience on the boat because they also have paddles in their hands. <laughs> it becomes a moment of mutually assured destruction in that boat. And so you hold on to your paddle faithfully. When you, wanna, when, you, when you get launched out of a boat, you fall out of a boat, it's easy to say, oh my gosh, my expensive sunglasses and my awesome hat, and drop your paddle. Uh, two things happen that way. If you have your paddle, you can hold it out and they can pull you in with it, or they can offer you theirs. But once you get back in the boat, you can't contribute. Uh, you've let go of something that has been entrusted to you. What is in your hands that God has given you that you can use for him? Uh, this is the big question. What do I have to contribute? You know, every little kid wants to contribute. This is one of the beautiful things about being a parent or a grandparent, is that every child wants to feel significant and make a contribution. 
And oftentimes as adults, we're so busy, we're so preoccupied, we don't recognize that. We go, no, no, I'll, I'll do it. Or you're too little. So a brand new believer, is a, per, a person who's, who today says, hey, I, I think I'm in, I've accepted Jesus. Uh, what can I do? Nothing, nothing. You, you don't really know anything yet. No, come on, jump in the boat. Here's your oar. Here's your paddle. We're going to teach you how to use it. Everybody can contribute. And one of the wonderful things to see on a raft trip uh, is that from the start to the finish, people develop these skills and they get dialed in. And pretty soon there's nothing that exists but your crew, the boat, and the river. And you, you've, you've had that feeling. It's just fantastic. Uh, Sherry Jansma, a lady who is sitting here today, uh, all five, three of her, uh, she is as happy mother, grandmother. The woman has run the Colorado River more, more than probably, if you added all the people who have been on the Colorado River, Sherry's run it more times. She wrote a phenomenal book about it that's his whole incredibly neat novel. Uh, it's wonderful to see the, the transformation of people from the beginning of a trip to the end of the trip. This is what the Christian life is. It's not, being a part, it's not being a passive observer, a spectator. It's not being a passenger. It's being a full participant. That's the beautiful thing about it. And we didn't realize that we had the capacity to make a difference by what God is putting into our hand. And, and for you who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, don't assume that, that you're using effectively and fully everything in your hand. Because it is so possible to be over-functioning in some ways and under-functioning in others. A person might know the Bible really well, but be totally undeveloped in terms of their EQ. They, they might be a, a scholar of the Bible, and, and there's no missional impact, and they don't know how to connect with people. So there's always a place for us to look and say, okay, where do I grow? How do I go deeper? Uh, you know, sometimes I've seen guys in gyms where they're just amazingly buff, and you go, have those strings hanging down from your shorts? You go, oh, it's your legs. I'm so sorry. You go, have you thought about working on your legs at all, you know? You know, what? Oh, my gosh, I have legs. You know, I, I, I was doing curls for the girls. I didn't think about my legs, you know. Um, so we want to be, be fully functional. And that's why it's a lifelong process of discipleship. You ask a river guide, they'll tell you every season I learn new stuff. You, turn, you talk to that newbie at the beginning of the trip, by the end of the trip, what did you learn? I learned that I don't have to grip my paddle so hard. I learned some techniques that don't have to work so hard. I've been, I become a smarter rower, a paddler. This is the beautiful thing that God is calling us to experience. Why? Because we need it. We need to grow in his grace. The world needs it. And if we don't grow in our grace, what do we have to offer other people? So when rafting uh, <coughs> life's rapids, we ask ourselves two questions. What do you need to let go of? And what do you need to hold on to? Let those questions be going through your mind as we look at the rest of this text. And by the way, this text is, is all over the place. When you read First Peter, you're saying, gosh, he starts here and goes off on a tangent. This guy must be related to Steve. I tell you, he's just kind of all over the, you know, and, and yet it all then comes together eventually in a whole. So as you read through First Peter, uh, and I suggest you read it through in one sitting, and then each week before you come to church, uh, read through that chapter. And then every week I send you a prep called Read, Think, and Pray. Read that and let that percolate into your thinking so that we can have a, a conversation as we move through this letter together. So in 1 Peter 2, verse 1, therefore, he says, because what he said just previous to this was, listen, you've received the word of God. That is life-changing. This is the, the word that was preached to you, both the word, capital W, Jesus is the word of God, and also word, small w, the written word of God. He says, because you've received this, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. We need to let go of some things in order to have a relationship with God and other people. Those attitudes that we cling to from our own defensiveness, our own sense of survival, perhaps, our own sense of protecting ourselves, or, or the sense that we're missing out somehow and it's somebody else's fault, all those attitudes can get in the way. And so one of the things we want to do right up front is say, Lord, uh, I know you want to put something in my hand, but what do I have to let go of so that I can receive what you want? Uh, a friend of mine... Um, I grew up in Africa, and he said, you know, we used to go hunting for monkeys, and we'd, we'd find a, a jar, and we'd put something that they'd want in it, and we'd, we'd, we'd secure the jar so they couldn't get away, and they'd put their hand in it and grab something, and they couldn't get their hand out of the jar. We'd go and get the monkey and make them as pets, you know? Uh, and that's how we are. We hold on to things that will, will, will make us vulnerable and at risk. We don't even realize it until it's too late. So rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Well, now, wait a minute, you might say. I thought this is all by grace uh, so that no one can boast. It's a gift from God to be saved. 
What do you mean rid myself? It sounds like I'm doing all the work. There's nothing antithetical or contradictory about working out your faith. It's God's grace from start to finish. It's unconditional love that allows us to come into a relationship with him. It's his sovereignty under which he invites us and accepts us into his kingdom. But our work, it, all that means is not working for our salvation. We're working out our salvation. Like the Apostle Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's like that sense of, I'm in the raft. I don't know what I'm going to face. You're excited. You're trembling with, with not so much fear as in I'm a, you might be afraid, but it's more of a sense of expectation and excitement that, well, what's, what's to come? So you're going to be paying attention to whoever's calling out the commands. You'll be paying attention to what's going on in the water. You're going to be very alert to everything going on. Your senses are so alive to the environment because you're, because you're so focused and immersed in it. That's what he's saying here. Sometimes this comes because you're in a, in a conversation with somebody, and they say, hey, I'm seeing some stuff in you that concerns me. What? Well, when anybody ever gives you negative feedback, you get really defensive. I do not. Okay, then. Thank you for confirming that, right? Uh, and so what happens is, as we read the Word of God and we see that there's some things we can let go of, we say, okay, Lord, I'll trust you in letting go of that. As we come into community and somebody says, you know what, I, I think, you know, here's some things I would suggest you look at, and I'm here to support you in that process. If you end up sitting with a counselor, the counselor says, why are you here? Oh, my wife made me come here. Right, okay, but why are you here? What do you mean? I just told you. Well, no, why are you here? Well, because I want to be in a relationship with my wife. Oh, so you want to work on you and your relationship with the wife. Well, well yeah. I, th I think once you hear my story, though, you'll understand it's her problem. I bet I will. Of course you will. Of course I will. So let's talk about your wife's problem. Right? And all of a sudden you get in this place where you go, hey, I can, let, I can let go of some things. What are you holding on to that is holding you back? What are you holding on to that is keeping you down? What important possessions would you have been holding on to if you were on the Titanic? I gotta have this anvil. I don't let go of it ever. It's, it's been in my family for a very long time. I've got a lot of warm attachments and wonderful memories attached to this anvil. Go, hey man, let it go, because you're gonna go down. So he goes on to say, like newborn babies crave, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's quoting Psalm 34 here. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And the emphasis here, uh, sometimes when people read this, they go, oh, the spiritual milk means reading the Bible and doing stuff like that. Yeah, of course, it goes there. But the big focal point here is craving, yearning, crave. That's a big, big word here. Like a newborn baby. We had a newborn baby. We had a five-day-old baby in the sanctuary today. Cutest little thing. All it does is it craves sleep and milk. It's ignoring its father right now. It's nothing personal. It's just that mom has everything I need. Right now, I crave being with mom. Uh, Dad, I'll, I'll like you later, you know. And this craving, is, it's a beautiful thing. I, when I was in college, I, I, I got a degree in business, but I had all these electives, and I started, I started taking electives, and I realized, oh my gosh, uh, I don't have enough for a minor in linguistics. So I started taking more linguistics classes. I did this intense summer institute of linguistics at the University of Washington. Uh, and it was also in partnership with a, a, a missionary organization, if you can imagine, that would never happen now, called Wycliffe Bible Translators. They had all these translators coming in from around the world who were talking about things they were working on. And this one amazing lady was working um, down in the, the mountains uh, of Oaxaca with this group called the Mistake people, and they were descendants of the Aztec people, and a very complicated language that didn't have a written alphabet, and she was making the alphabet so she could translate the Bible and give it to them. And I said, well, so what, what are some examples of things? She goes, okay, here's the phrase. People, people come into a home or to the village, they go, Nimayanti wala. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so awkward. We don't do that with vowels. Ah. And I said, what does it mean? It means I come hungry. And I, maybe, maybe when they say it, they mean hungry, I don't know. But it was Nimayanti wala, really long like that. And maybe think of a baby going, I'm hungry, you know. Uh, yeah, and so what the response was in Mistake was, oh, shiwala shilakunuso. Eat these two yellow corn tortillas. So I'm just telling you this as a sidebar, so when you go to order next time at the taco stand, <laughs> and what can I get for you? Uh, shiwala shilakunuso, please. I'd like two yellow corn tortillas, because nimayati, wala, I come hungry. This is how we're to come to God. This is how we're to come to his word. This is how we're to come to our faith, is that I'm yearning, I'm craving to be fed and filled by what God alone can provide. 
And I do this in the context of a community that supports me in that and holds me accountable to that. And I get off track. They go, hey, whoa, 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 let's look at this in context. Maybe you're assuming the wrong thing about what this says, right? And so like newborn babies, it's, there's a beautiful imagery there, right? They just want to grow. And it's, there's nothing more fun to watch a baby, a grandbaby, grow and develop. And, and when you see a, 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 a crabby kid at 3.30 in the afternoon, you know what they need, right? They need two yellow corn tortillas right now. They need to be fed because they're cranky. And that's how we are. We need to be hungry. Uh, so today, following this service, if you're hungry, we will feed you lunch in the Welcome Center. And you can sit through an amazing and practical, wonderful uh, seminar on prayer. It will give you some content. It will inspire you, inform you. But most importantly, it will give you some skills. If you're in a life group uh, and you're reading through the Bible for the first time maybe and discussing a, uh, the Bible, your, your mind is making all these connections going, this is awesome. I want more of this. When you have somebody who walks you through and helps you understand the layers of depth. See, we're not about church growth here. We're about church depth here. When a church goes deep, it grows. When we, when we, anytime we individually, collectively say, I've grown enough, I'm going to stop at the point of preference. I just want my preferences met. A church will stop growing. A marriage will stop growing. A family will stop growing. A business will stop growing. I know enough. What we want to say is, what else does God want to teach me? What else is there to know, to develop? How else can I use this paddle to honor and glorify God, this oar to bless people as I move through the rapids of life? And so as you come to him, it says in verse 4, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is inspiring gobbledygook to us. This idea of a living stone or a holy priesthood is like, oh, man, different, different world you're describing, not my world. Except that he's writing to people who are disenfranchised far from home. They were literally, we're going to see it in a moment, we saw this in chapter 1, exiles and foreigners. Another word for it is strangers. They were refugees from Israel, now in a Roman province that we know as Turkey. They had been pushed out, and they were the lowest of the low, the least of the least, the last of the last. And they had no rights. They had no claims. Uh, even the language was different. The customs were different. And they were perceived as, as outsiders. But worse than just outsiders, you're, you're not a regular refugee. You keep talking about uh, Christus. No, no, it's Christus. Oh, yeah, Christus. You're, you're Christians. You're those people who are cannibals because you drink blood. Uh, you, you believe you eat the flesh of your God. You are pagans because you don't believe that Caesar is God. We have one uh, w that we worship here. It's called Nero. He's Nero the Caesar and the emperor. And that's who you should be worshiping, not this Jesus. And so they were really in a difficult, difficult circumstance. And Peter's reminding them, you know, you're a living stone. God is building you into this incredible temple. And if they had been in Jerusalem, they would remember, oh my gosh, yeah, the temple. If you took a walk today at the base of the temple, the temple doesn't exist now. There's just a, a retaining wall. And, and on the western side of that retaining wall, if you walk along it, there's stones as big as that section of our building that are massive. You go, how did they cut them? How did they move them? And they're so perfectly placed together that you can't put a piece of paper between them. And so he's saying, just like the, the, the temple built from those incredibly beautiful and polished stones, you are being built together to be a holy temple, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Oh my gosh, what a status, what an upgrade, what a promotion. And what were those spiritual sacrifices? It was learning to live in a foreign land as oppressed people. Think about that. That became a call to spiritual sacrifice. You are going to honor and glorify God by thriving in this place in spite of the hostile circumstances. Can you even relate to that? N pretty much none of us here can relate to being a refugee. Totally displaced, pushed out of your home, and, and, and floating on this sea of, of, uh, of hostility. Uh, we, we, are, you know, we are divided people about refugees, just as the whole world is, because you see some people gaming the refugee opportunity, and we're threatened by it. But to put yourself in the place of a refugee changes everything. What would you do to protect your children, your grandchildren? 
uh, this was a very dire situation that they're in, and Peter's speaking specifically to it. And so when we talk about exiles and refugees or foreigners and, and, and uh, strangers, we're not talking metaphorically about that. We're talking literally. And around that issue that he's addressing in the letter, there's a lot of metaphors, like living stones and priesthood, etc. And so he says, he goes on, to, now this is one of his riffs. Peter says, well, for in Scripture it says, and now he's quoting Isaiah 28, I see I lay a stone in Zion. Zion is a word that stands for Jerusalem. It stands for David's legacy from whom the Messiah would come. Zion ends up being a code word for, for messianic uh, expectation. Now, as followers of Jesus, they're saying, oh, yeah, Jesus fulfills that Zion hope we have. If you go to Israel, go to Jerusalem, there's actually the hill of Zion in one part of the city. So it's an actual place, but now it's become symbolic uh, for everything that these people hope for. And so he says, Isaiah, speaking in judgment to the people in Israel, several hundred years prior to this, 400 years prior to this, actually 600 years prior to this, uh, he's, he's giving a word of judgment from God to the people of Israel, saying, listen, you need to pay attention to what God's doing. Here's what he's up to. And they didn't, and they wouldn't. And so they were, eventually, both, both halves of the country were uh, carried it off into captivity. So all this is in their mind. This was a word from Isaiah. This is now a word to us as we are in our own version of exile. Who trust in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious because you know the value of it. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Another quote from scripture. The capstone being that place when you, when you build an arch out of stone, the one stone that you've seen it shaped like this is the, is the key stone that holds the entire uh, 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 edifice together. It's how all the engineering comes together on that capstone. It's, this, it's the most important stone in the whole building, right, in terms of building an arch. And it says here, the one that the builder said, that's not work workable, that's not good enough, that's the one that is now the capstone, what shows what they, they didn't know, what they assumed incorrectly. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Why? Because they're tripping over it. But you, and again, more, more metaphorical language, you are a chosen people. That's a, that's a reference. They would have immediately thought, oh my gosh, Exodus, that's what, that's what they refer to the people coming out of slavery as. They were the chosen people. A royal priesthood, oh my gosh, he's talking about the priests of Israel. They lived in 48 cities spread around Israel, and they were given land for their animals, and they, they didn't own land, but all the other tribes had land, but they were given land for free, lived in, in walled cities, and their job was to inspire the people to worship God, to learn about God, and then they rotated through from those cities to Jerusalem to work in the temple itself. So they were thinking, oh my gosh, those are really important people in the, in the life of Israel. Uh, you are a people belonging to God, a holy nation. So this is a description of, the, of their new identity. You're not just refugees that everybody gets to walk on and abuse and take advantage of. This is your true identity. Hold on to this. This is the oar, the paddle you've been given. This is the boat you're in. This is how you're going to navigate these rapids that are overwhelming you and scaring the, the daylights out of you. Why is, are, is God allowing you to go through this? And this becomes a word for the church as well, collectively. So that... You may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You get to be a light reflecting God's glory to the nations in the most inhospitable way, in the most unlikely uh, mode and manner possible. The least, the last, the lost, so to speak, are the very means for God saying, I'm going to tell the world about what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. Do you follow that? Totally upside down than the way we'd think about it. And so once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers, again, not metaphorically, but literally, you are aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which a war against your soul. That's good news and good advice for anybody, but particularly for them. Why? Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Because you're foreigners and you're easily identifiable, because you look different than the majority, you can be picked on and everybody can just say, hey, a Roman soldier can say, hey, you, come here. Knowing that you're not a regular, knowing that you're not a Roman citizen probably, your dress, your look, your language, um, take my pack and carry it. Or do this. Or hey, sweetheart, come over here, I'd like to talk to you. And the dad's going, oh gosh, what do I do with my daughter? 
Uh, and so don't give him any excuse to be able to pick on you. And so live such good lives among these pagans that they, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It was a couple decades, several decades later from this point that Tacitus, the Roman historian, was able to say, these people put us to shame the way they treat us. They're so good. Uh, other, other Roman writers were saying, these people care about not just themselves, but us. They outshine us in how they have compassion for people. These people are amazing what they do. It's a goofy thing that they say they believe, but this is like nobody in our kingdom. Nobody in the empire thinks and acts this way, but these people who cling to Jesus. Is that not powerful to you? That's socially revolutionary. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And he says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Uh, we've, seen a, we've seen this in spades all week. We've seen this crazy situation of, of wealthy, connected people uh, trying to game a system. Um, I'm, I, I wrote a letter to USC demanding uh, tuition back because I'm thinking, you guys are already funded. You don't need my, you know, uh, our money uh, for our girls. Uh, what's going on here? Uh, obviously, these people were using their freedom as a cover-up for evil. It's scandalous. It's discouraging. It's disgusting. Whoever thought, every article you've read has said, what were they thinking about? What were they thinking for their kid's sake? And having got into that school, how is that kid going to graduate from the school probably, right? So wouldn't you love to hear a story this week? Hey, after last week, we decided to interview some very wealthy, connected people. Uh, they have all the status and prestige and all the resources they'd ever want. And here's a couple of them. Hey, tell us about your family. Well, uh, I got two kids, and uh, they have taken for granted that you know, they're going to have all this money, and they don't need to really work that hard. Well, we've been telling them, we're going to give all this money away before we go. And we're going to prepare you for life. We're, we're going to fund college for both of you or for whoever else wants to use it if you don't. And so one of our kids was so disgusted that he started selling drugs and he's in jail and he thought we were going to hire some high-priced attorney to get him out. And we said, no, we're not. You're going to face the consequences. And he said, I thought you loved me. And I said, I do love you. But dad, you're a billionaire. Everybody knows that. You're famous. You're, you're in the news. You, you command a kingdom worldwide. That's right. And that's why I am going to show you what integrity looks like. You're going to pay the consequences, and I'll be, I'll be here when you get out, and I'll help you move on with the rest of your life. Meanwhile, my daughter, uh, in the same mindset, saw what happened to her brother, and she said, Dad, what should I do? And, he, and he said, you should go to this community college, and you should work part-time, and you should get an education. And in two years, she, she, she's done that, and she's gone into a UC, and she's almost ready to graduate. She's done some internships. She has some ideas about what she wants to do. I've not opened any doors for her. She doesn't, nobody knows who her dad is. And, and I'm really excited to see what happens in her life. Would you love that article or not? You say, my gosh, we need more of this, right? Uh, this is what he's talking to them about. You, and he's talking to the, these people with no power, but he's saying, you have freedom. You get to choose whom this day you will serve, the Lord or something or someone else. Choose this when you have nothing, so that when you have everything, you'll, you'll be making the same kinds of choices. Wealth and prestige and power don't change you. That's a big lie. That's a big excuse. All they do is allow you to be who you really are. Money and prestige and power simply allow you to be who you really are. So who are you really? And this is why, from the earliest years, we want to you know, help our children and our, our grandchildren uh, and anybody else that we can touch in our life to know this is what it looks like to walk with a living God because you're going to be a free person from birth all the way through to death. And so never use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live it, use it as an excuse, an opportunity for righteousness, to bless, to glorify God and bless people. So that's what it means when it says live as servants of God. I love it when I meet people who are incredibly successful, incredibly wealthy, and they say, my whole identity is being a servant of God. And everything I have belongs to him, and I use it creatively. Every day I wake up and say, how can I use this for you, Lord? And so I hope this is wherever you are, this is where you are in your life. Say, yeah, I want to be God's servant wherever I am. Shine for him. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Understand the system in which you live. Abide by it. 
uh, honor it, respect it, and just your presence being in it will change it. Because when decisions are made and there's a discussion about what is right or wrong, you'll be able to say, well, here's my perspective on what's right. As I said last week, the people to whom Peter is writing, uh, nobody was paying attention to them, nobody took them seriously. Several generations later, it was their descendants who became the leaders in, this in these provinces. They became the spiritual leaders. When Constantine, and following Constantine, when Constantine, who was from these provinces, became the emperor, and following him, there were people in that area that, that was the Eastern Roman Empire, later to be called the Byzantine Empire. These were the people that said, hey, let's think clearly about who God is. He's fully God and fully man, not kind of God. The whole Arian controversy. Arius was a guy that said, uh, Jesus is homoiousion. He's kind of like God. We'll add that iota in there. These guys were the ones that led us to the place in the Nicene Creed when we could say he is homoousion. He's exactly the essence of God. They changed the world. Two of them, two friends, Cyril and Methodius, said, hey, you know what? There's people beyond this incredible place we live. It's filled with people following Jesus. Let's go to places that don't have it. We've heard that these people in this vast country called Russia uh, need the gospel. Let's go. Two Greek guys left this area to whom Peter is writing generations later. They go to Russia. The Russians are illiterate. They have no written language. So Cyril says, I'll create an alphabet for you. I'll create Russian sounds with Greek letters. It's to this day called the Cyrillic alphabet. Every day, Russians get up and praise God by speaking Russian. They point to Jesus and Jesus' people every time they open their mouth and speak Russian because it was Cyril that gave them the capacity to articulate a language and to write it. So we show proper respect to everyone. It doesn't, doesn't mean we agree with everyone or we support what they're doing. You never, ever dilute or compromise your faith by showing respect to people or to the country in which you live. Actually, what you do is you earn credibility to speak uh, when people say, okay, uh, I'm ready to listen. I might not agree, uh, but I'm going to listen. So to this you were called, he says, because Christ suffered for you. Here's why we can do all this. He suffered for us, leaving us an example that we could follow in his footsteps, not under our own power, but through his Holy Spirit, guided by his word, surrounded by his people, supporting us in this process of living into the the richness, uh, the, the potential of our faith. And remember, Peter says, he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. You notice if you read back through everything about Jesus, he was respectful to the authorities even though he, he challenged them. He upended the system simply by being who he was. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is not a call to pretend to be perfect. It's a call to walk with God, to learn from God, to be in his boat, using your paddle, your oar, to glorify him and bless people. So hold on to your paddle. Hold on to your oar. Learn to use it wisely. Come and learn how to pray and pray for others. Uh, go to a life group and learn how to be in community. Read your Bible and learn how to process the layers of complexity so you can see very clearly the incredible message that's there waiting for you. Jump into community Bible study. Uh, whatever it takes, learn to use that oar, that paddle that has been entrusted to you. Why? So you can join in God's work. He's calling us to be part of his work in the world as his partners in it. Under his lordship, we get to use whatever he's entrusted to us uh, to benefit others, no matter, where, no matter where it leads you. Sometimes it looks ridiculously scary, and this is not going to work. Why did I ever sign up for this dumb trip? But having gone through those rapids with Christ, you look back and you say, Lord, wow. I thought you were in my boat. I now understand I was in yours. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for allowing us to be in your boat. Thank you for trusting us with a paddle, with an oar, that we get to contribute to what you're doing in the world. You've done it, and yet we get to, to participate in working it out one day at a time. And so, Lord, I pray for each person here, for those who don't know you, that they would come to know you and, and establish and begin a personal relationship with you by faith. For those who know you well and are deep 
in their faith. I pray, Lord, that that depth would free them up uh, to, to be creative in the way that they use what you've entrusted to them. For those who are struggling and feel like they shouldn't be in the boat, I pray, Lord, that they would know that your unconditional love and grace is sufficient. And so, Lord, we, for, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. This brings us to a time of tithes and offering. If you have your connection or prayer card, you can take those out, and the, as the ushers come forward, you can place those in the basket. And if you're looking for ways to hold on to your oar, we've created some spaces for that. Our prayer event that's happening right after the service, it's open. You can come. There'll be lunch provided. Uh, or if you're a woman, you, there's the women's retreat coming up the 5th to the 7th of April. Sign up for those. Um, also, I just want to say, you know, as a church that's rooted in prayer, it's, it's, a, it's a big focus. It's like the starting place. It's the foundation of which we launch when we do the stuff that we're called to do. Uh, if, you, if you know someone that needs prayer, we have prayer shawls that you can go and grab over here and fill out a nice little card for them and just give them something. Let them know people are praying for them because it's such an important thing to walk up to someone and that, have them know that you're praying for them or have people pray, covering you with prayer when you're walking through those tough times. So let us continue our worship with song and giving.
that's our confession of faith, uh, that's the secret to living a great life, because we recognize who God is, and in recognizing him for who he is, we then start to understand ourselves as we are for the first time, and instead of hiding from him, we come out with arms wide open, instead of trying to pretend we're something we're not, we get to be who we really are, beloved sons and daughters of the living God, this is how great it is. 
to know him and to be known by him, to be in a community with brothers and sisters like him, uh, reaching out to a world that definitely needs to be in the boat. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.